0: We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. That no idea grows from mewling striped to come to teeth at your throat tiger. Without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jerram Serf, and this is Here Be Tigers. Hi all, I am Jared Zerf.
1: And I am David Herman.
0: And this is Here Be Tigers, the only podcast show where we take life by the tail. So Dave and I today are riffing on some of our concepts we'd come up with earlier during the one-shot design episodes, particularly Stars Without Number, as a foundation to which Dave derived.
1: Well. Stair, I derived stairs without number, which was just, it was basically based on the the rather funny play on words, but it was a game of and traveling endlessly down an infinite series of stairs. And, you know, in uh, kind of like House of Leaves style, if you've read House of Leaves, or I don't, I can't pull up the SCP number with the endless flight of stairs if you've read that one. But if you know what I'm talking about, you, you've got an idea. Or traveling through an Escher painting. Whatever the case is, that was a one page we riffed on, amongst others, in a previous episode. But realizing that, uh, but going back to the original name that that I riffed off of, the stars without number, I realized that stairs without number and some of the concepts that we came up with would apply very well to a game where it, it, it's trillions of years in the future, and the stars have mostly gone out, and it's long distances between um, small points of safety or not safety, small points of anything. Refuge, perhaps, yes. And this would be stars with number. So the stars are numbered. And what do you do in that circumstance?
0: You know, it's fascinating because I think in this, our, three, our third season, we are, in a sense, touching upon some things we first visited in the earliest episodes of the first season. I, I remember you asked during, I think, episode one, when we were playing with Origins of the Universe, with in the story which I write, at one point, either on that episode or perhaps in the lost xenobiology episode, version one, you would ask at some point during one of those conversations, is this an Earth as we know it, or is this something composite or remnant from that, that is either remnant, physically remnant or reminiscent, right? Is it Mm. things assumed to be like that are just left over from a bigger thing before? And I'm on what is now the third book of the series, drafting it as I revise the first one just so happened to write a piece of text that is an in-universe piece of text it's a book that touches upon many things including the nature of the world as one man's reflected on it and this particular section or excerpt that came up was on the idea of concurrency that is from the one place to another i go from one leaf on a tree single quotes tree to another like node what's in between is only affixed a certain solid thing when i go that in a sense we are as a current or a medium unknown, a ship lost at sea, same above as below, save for what ephemera we make, the conduits we shape through sense and sensate, and the ripples of wave from a hull. It's fascinating because I was playing with this meditation off of an idea of the road of dreams, death, and sleep that has come up in the book numerous times. And why, as I was writing the book, only certain places were well defined whereas the means through which you travel by remained ersatz, erudite, remained nebulous or different each time, right? So there are these affixed nodes, effectively, destinations where characters arrive, but the journey from one to another is never or is not always as defined. And first I thought perhaps this was a quirk of characters' perceptions, one or two of them only paying attention to when they arrived at a place, right? As I observed more and more of the book, I realized, no, there's something in the nature of the world itself that only allows certain things or permits or retains certain pieces in whole, as the rest, without attention to it or presence or travel through it, starts to become less defined. And obviously, as a writer, I teller of tales you want to know when a truth emerges in your tale why so i delved into it a bit i bring this up today because i feel like particularly as you know suggest this notion of the heat death of the universe as common science i'll say the commonly accepted scientific principles suggest would result in these widely dispersed islands of rationality solidity substance refuge right
1: yeah, it's certainly a common enough sci-fi concept to play around with that people aren't going to be completely unfamiliar with it.
0: Right. So this notion that despite our best efforts to find our last best hope, our next future hope, we are trapped within the void and the nebulous, nondescript emptiness that is almost impossible for our minds to fathom. It's, I think, why in so much of contemporary fiction they go the Lovecraftian route that stays in and of itself when there is no light, achieves the same effect as cosmic horror genre, right? That the human mind cannot comprehend nothingness to that scale. So within that space, there are, I think, numerous pieces of fiction, such as what happens purely within the life of those who are contained in this vessel. What happens more Star Trek-like style, though perhaps hmm, bleaker yet, where they try to find the last refuges or vestiges of existence. I will not spoil the end of Walker for Final Fantasy XIV, because far the, the final stretches of it do touch upon some of these concepts of the end of days and what happens when you are aware of it and have little power to affect such. I think, well, before we get into the particulars of our riff here, what's your sense in terms of how these narratives emerge adjacent to cultural circumstances or adjacent to historical ones? That, uh, you know, we tend to, at least from what I've observed, go between these very hopeful narratives to the bleak ones as our history runs in cycles.
1: Uh, it runs in cycles, but our tastes run in cycles, too. I mean, they're like most post-apocalyptic fic- uh, fiction. Actually, it's uh, amusing. Uh, one of the figures in fiction that have, oh, that owes the most to an actual post-apocalypse is the the wizard, the wandering wise man who in tomes and dusty books has pulled information that out information that no one else has access to and is wise beyond his years. The reason for that is that in a very real sense for around a thousand years of hi- in history after the fall of the Roman Empire, in Europe specifically, this is not something that touched say China or Australia or uh, the, the, the Americas, but still given how much of our writings come from Europe, Uh, For about a thousand years time, if you wanted knowledge, you looked to the past and you looked in old, dusty books that may that may have been maintained in a monastery, in a um, in in a in a library or or some other way uh, maintained. That's where you got that information. And it wasn't until the Renaissance that that you could actually discover new things. So the wizard is in a very real sense, a scar on our pop culture that has endured for hundreds upon hundreds of years since the event that the the apocalypse that gave rise to it finally ended.
0: In a sense, it's similar to how Frankenstein, the monster, rather Frankenstein's monster, we call it Frankenstein now, but that's more of a pedantic argument than a meaningful one, has become a modern telling of Faust, which itself is a body of works, devoted to what happens when you make an unwise deal with powers beyond you, or you wish for a thing that you shouldn't have. There's there's a whole series of, from religious tales to effectively trying to grasp at things beyond you to achieve things you desire more than all else. And Frankenstein was a scientific retelling of that very old myth and fable, which resonated with the populations and with us at the time, because it gave truths, it gave anchors that we could relate to. In regards to this very old tale, I think in the same way that oh, this might sound strange, but, you know, Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire years, Doc Ock creates the sun.
1: Uh-huh.
0: It's This is this is not a new, this is Icarus. Right. In reverse, in a sense, he brought the sun down to earth. But there's this, the, the folly of achieving for the power and wisdom and strength, the wit, the realm of the gods, whatever you want to phrase it as.
1: The, the, um, the, the folly of intelligence and idea untempered by wisdom.
0: Right. And we see this now in often modern tales of AI going back to iRobot. And even before that, Amazon's much discussed effort to embed the voices of the departed in your Alexa devices, <laughs> which I think is a literal haunting.
1: Yeah, that, that's pretty bad, right there. And, and I think that um, the the, the uh, apocalyptic these apocalyptic stories are born of an of, of an awareness that our modern, depending on where you like, our, our modern uh, largely post scarcity society. That's obvious. That's post scarcity in the economic sense. That's not definitely things are still scarce not in, in a very country. literal sense. Not, Rights not,
0: powers. Not, access, enfranchisement, yes. Right,
1: right. But there's an awareness that our modern society is built on an interconnected structure and that without that structure, it cannot sustain. And so there's this fascination with what will things look like without that structure?
0: You know, within that context, actually, Chinua Ashabe's Things Fall Apart is post-apocalyptic because it's what happens within certain portions of Africa when the missionaries arrive. And obviously the title is a reference to the poem. How is it? Is it is slouching toward Bethlehem. I think one of the third or fourth stanzas, wider and wider than Maddening Gyre. Mm. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Well, I, I may have skipped a few lines, but my point there is that the book is written from the point of view of a character who's watching the world that he knows disintegrate. And there's no sense in the one to come to him. So I think part of... The fundamental or part of one of the fundamental truths we want to play with as we explore this concept further today is the notion that the previous understanding of the world no longer holds true. Right. And I use the world in the vast sense, the world in which the story occurs, not in the just singular world you encounter.
1: And in the nature of the of post-apocalyptic games being one where it, you are and you're no longer in a post-scarcity society, it's those games always are about making choices they're 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 always about uh, if you do this, you cannot do that. They're about um, null sums. In order for you to have this, uh, you or someone else must uh, not have this
0: right. So for instance, in our microscope sessions from years past, you could only have one of strawberry chocolate vanilla.
1: right. And uh, if you want to drive things more towards the post-apocalyptic, you double down on the zero-sum. Zero-sum is not something that's always true, but it is in a post-apocalyptic setting.
0: I think Cormac McCarthy, The Road, this is, I want to say, Lord, is it almost 20 years ago? No, no, it's a little less than that, maybe 15 or so. But his was a a watershed as a novel because it took the premises of a Western and applied them to post-apocalyptic structure and narrative. The Lone Cowboy, the Lone Gunman, And his young ward traveling the wilds and the dangers.
1: And that's sort of exactly it. A post-apocalyptic world, depending on how far it has fallen, is very similar to a Western. Small islands of some degree of civilization, long wastes between them, and uh, always on the road. Um, You can only stay for so long.
0: Walking Dead is another example in some regards. There have been plenty of television shows in the aughts that definitely delved into this. Some of them more effectively than others. Wa-
1: the Walking Dead makes sense because what what's one of the things for what's one of the places in the world where you most see a post apocalyptic c- scenario? Major disasters,
0: right? Like your hurricanes,
1: place. your earthquakes, your your tidal waves, etc. Fun fact: Tidal waves are not tidal just a fun little thing not fun because tidal waves aren't yeah they're not they have nothing to do with the moon. Uh, anyways the uh, I digress uh, my point here is that natural disasters lead to those situations where you don't where you no longer have those amenities you no longer have that civilization and that structure and so it's a you get up you get what what is very much a post-apocalyptic thing where you're trying to make ends meet where you're trying to get what you can running, etc and zombies, our uh, zombie apocalypses are better thought of as natural disasters than they are any other thing because zombies are mindless. They just are.
0: Oryx and Craig by Margaret Atwood and her Matt Adams series is also post apocalyptic. Although I think there's two things I want to bring up here, and they're important ones because we've talked many, almost two or three years ago now on the show, about fundamental beats of the narrative sad, funny, beautiful, weird, and others as well. And as much as I do think the road, for instance, and Walking Dead both touch upon the idea of the lackadaisical, the nothingness that is the do nothingness. Where, other than the particulars of surviving day to day, there's so much, in, there's, there are so few obligations left, in the greater sense that you don't know what to do with yourself or what your purpose is. Mm-hmm. There's that, but I do think I was reading an interview with the developers of the Far Cry series, and they had been asked why, in this particular iteration, it was so florid, full of flowers and colorful. And one of them had an interesting point. He said, we talked to a lot of, in this case, nuclear scientists and others who discussed and had observed the effects of fallout in a region and in fluorescence, the rebirth of plant life, flowers of color, vibrancy happens. There's a point which after all the disasters have settled, the urgency is no longer there. The mitigating factors have worn down where things re-emerge, where life is different, but it exists again. And often, as strange and alien as to us as you could imagine from, well, most horror shows or narratives, but the there's a beauty and a vivacity to it that they wanted to, in this particular Far Cry, it might have been for, I want to say, they wanted to make sure was there, so that while, yes, the sparseness was horrific, the lack of things that used to be was... Alluded to and present, the world itself was still magnificent and strange and full of wonder. And I think I would like to suggest as something we do in this rift today to make sure those elements are at play, because without the beauty and the joy and the wonder, the bleakness is both to the narrative and the people experiencing it overwhelming.
1: Well, that's a, that is actually a bit of a problem in this riff. I was actually going to, the first thing I want to touch on is that that right there describes the difference between the Western and the post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. and how one transitions, uh, how the post-apocalyptic transitions to the Western, because the Western is one where the situation is small pockets of civilization, vast pockets of wilderness, but people are moving in, connections are being built, the wild is being tamed. That is that is the Western. So you've got the railroads coming in. You've it's got industry. The, it's industry. It's it's and so and so the the dichotomy is very often that there, there's freedom, but that freedom is being pushed out. The post-apocalyptic is the opposite. Those vestiges, those railroads, those roads and all of that are in decay. They're disappearing. Um, you can no longer you you had relied on them and you no longer can. Instead of bringing in the new, you're having to work with what's left. And that's fine. That resurgence is great in almost any post-apocalyptic game. But the fundamental idea behind the heat death of the universe is there is nothing left for resurgence. There is no real possibility of it. We're at the end. Like the things are too far apart. You can't like if you had the ability to drag stars together, maybe maybe you could you could eke yourself out another couple million years, or a billion even, um, which would be certainly enough. But in the heat death of the universe, the idea is like the stars have pretty much all gone out anyway. You're looking at their last vestiges; uh, they're just holding on by a thread. There's not a resurgence because there's not the energy for a resurgence anymore. I
0: think the beauty then you have to find is in the transcendent things that are beyond just the moment of bleakness and sparsity itself and i read a book recently that attempted to do this i since it was published this year i will not spoil it and i was looking up the title my kindle is out of reach so
1: <laughs> well the, que- the the question becomes the the resurgence is possible but it's not possible in the sense that you're not going to kick the universe from post apocalyptic to western
0: right so there's going to
1: be no no new travel lanes opened up
0: i'm just going to bring up through a quick mention i will put the title in the show notes because i don't want to disrupt the flow here but the the basic premise of the books so you have we have material to work with here was an ark ship that has chugged along for quite a long time and to the point where the generations have passed sufficiently so that no one truly remembers the details of why exactly we all had to go, just that we had to. And they That's created... a
1: long time if there's good records. Uh,
0: there are, but partly the book seems to suggest that there's a lot of government control of the narrative. And this is in part because the Ark ship is far more damaged than people want to let people... Well, part Far Red, more damaged you're... than the leadership wants to let the residents know, which comes to a head when something impacts the outer hole to the point where the whole thing is eventually just going to disintegrate. There aren't enough resources, talent, or time left to repair it. So it it is deeply in line with the narrative we're talking about here, where we have only so much of everything left. What do we do within that space remaining to us? And who are we in that? I won't spoil where the narrative goes, because the reveal I've just spoken to is in the first chapter. I will put the title in the show notes though Th- that said,
1: well, then we have to decide about that resurgence because what the nature of that is mm. is like matters a lot because very uh, because especially if this is going to be any kind of one page, the systems are all going to be about eking out survival. Um, and so what it, and so independent of that is an actual goal where you can find beauty. And what is that? I mean, I suppose we could just put in like the. So there is a there is actually a game that I can think of where you, you essentially have a lot of the same themes. Right. Unsurprisingly, this is a game I, I thought of quite a bit in, um, in Stairs Without Number. Uh, that would be Wraith of the Oblivion, a game where you were all dead. Always.
0: <laughs> one
1: day you will find it. You are subject to the vast pull of oblivion, and sooner or later it will pull you down. You know, in, in most cases a lot later, but still, you cannot escape it you can transcend, you can move on to whatever comes next. That's really difficult to do. And no one's quite sure how to do it, but it is there. But most of the rules are about eking out your, your existence. You can do, you can certainly do a game that has something like that. So there could be the possibility of building a gateway to the, uh, to another universe. That would certainly be a potential end goal. It depends more on if we want to explore the nature of scrounging for survival, or if, if we want to make it more like our last best hope, where you're you like, you're like trying to get that push for that last big hurrah.
0: I'm going to throw out a few things that I have seen over the years, and we can use them as a foundation to work with. Two of these are pulled from the old Google Plus, or Circles, community for the Dungeon World game. That is now defunct, but I think some of it's archived. So you might still, if you search online, be able to find the original post. Uh, There were two that came to mind here from this. One was a person who wanted to play or run a game, I suppose, a story about, I think he called it Candle in the Dark or something to that effect. Like nine
1: candles or something?
0: something, yes, where where it was, we are the last few motes of light in this defunct arcship. And another, unrelated, although I saw the two of these and said I think there's a way to juncture them, was someone who wanted to play or run a narrative. Within our earliest Paleolithic days, and they were trying to figure out though stats are typically in these kinds of games what you're capable of, right? And they wanted right. capa- they wanted capacities for the characters that were narratively reflective of their understanding of the world, that tied into animism or the faith and belief structures we had back then to the best of our knowledge. So stats would be things like spirit, air, earth, fire, bone, stuff like that. And I saw these two and I said, I think there's a juncture between them because at a certain point, as you said, knowledge and access to it gets lost understandings of things that had been fractures and fragments. And there's a place within an arcship or journey through the remaining stars where we're back down to rocks and bones and spirits and air again. Mm. And, I don't know if we need to take them in the most literal sense, per se. But I, I want to suggest those two as beginning nodes, and I also want to suggest something I'll pull from the book, which was a contemplation I had, as the character was writing about, if arc ships existed, how would they work, based on his knowledge of the world? And his supposition was that it wouldn't be bodies frozen in ice or cryogenically secured. It would be the materials with which to make man again the knowledge, the words, the resources, the raw elements Mm -hmm. by which to assemble them again into people or something as close to people as the assembling entity could make. Again, a little bit of a riff on our microscoped episode of Yore, where the cloning machine went mad.
1: I think that begs a very important first question, which is, are we setting the game at the junctures, the points of interest? So for instance, okay, here's this broken down, busted red dwarf, I mean, uh, not red, uh, white dwarf star that there might be something at over here. And then there's another one, I don't know, however long away, much further away than, than stars are right now. We're going to we're going to tell the story at one and then we're going to mostly skip over the transition to the next one, maybe if you're cryosleep or something like that. And then we, we tell the story as it picks up at the next one, or if there was something that interrupted in the middle there, there's the room for that too. So in other words, are we going to, are we going to play, uh, think of a game, think of connect the dots. Sure. Are we going to play, are we going to write the game so that it takes place at the dots or are we going to write the game? So that it takes place at the lines between the dots.
0: Do you want me to spoil some old lore from a catting world that you guys, unfortunately, due to time and circumstance, weren't able to explore? Sure. The narrative, I think, as we talked about before, eventually involved the world you knew collapsing and all of you trying to escape with what, you could, with what little what or what most you could save through the eponymous gate. And there was always the question of what lay particularly on the other side, because the inscription on it was, What remains of time is held beyond here, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you recall, but the holy symbol of Brennan, the one who had put the sun away and left that gaping black hole that still radiated light, was an upside-down tree, right? Right. I had scripted some pieces of what happened should you arrive on the other side of the gate, and notes on depending on who and what you save and who survives, because as a, as an homage to Mass Effect Two: Suicide Run, I was, I believe, the last sessions we ran were effectively you guys in narrative removing the safeguards on your own lives.
1: (laughs) Basically, yeah.
0: And making a last desperate run with whoever and whatever survives. As I told Stephen, I think I told you, he played Adelbert, now the Red versus Maximilian, his younger brother. And they were fated to have a struggle bound based on their own shenanigans and own sacrifices within the world and the rules they had engaged, the rules and truths of the world they had engaged in. Maximilian had saved his brother by fighting the salmon of wisdom, and refusing to die had suffered the portent that one of you would take the other's life next time. So by your own actions in the game and the narrative's course, one of them had to die by the end of this narrative before we cross the gate. I had given Stephen, who was going to play Edelbert the Red, one last move that he'd be able to pull as the last dying rays of the sun shone brilliantly on his form. And I think Mm -hmm. I've told you before, but I'll remind you. I I had described it as thus and then said, you are filled with determination. (laughs) I would allow Stephen as Edelbert the Red to have the last move because he had earned it. Maximilian had the first. Edelbert closes that narrative. So Mm -hmm. again, whoever survives of them, the family... Your characters or those closest to you would stumble onto the other side and it would be a bridge over this vast chasm that as you cross it would seem to have some weird twinkling or faint glittering lights and you'd begin to see this, outfor- this outstretched form of a thing branch-like descending down into the darkness with bits and pieces of radiation and light still shining through it. And eventually at the end of that you would find Brennan there with it. And I don't want to review all the details, but it was suggested, or I will suggest that that heart of the sun that he had taken and removed was still here and shining as you got a sense of the ship you were in that had many possibilities of which your world was just the one and had failed so thoroughly and utterly, not by your own fault entirely, but certainly accelerated by your actions and deeds. And you'd be given a choice of whether you wanted to go in another one or to solve the system. And its failings here, in I suppose we'll call it the core world, right?
1: I know which way I know which way I'd go with that. It's all the failings.
0: I imagined you would. I, I thought there would be circumstances, for instance, where we we suggested Maximilian would offer himself as a replacement for Brennan, who was keeping the system alive. In all of our our riffs on what Arcana, for instance, characters would be, Brennan was always the hanged man. In this case, quite literally, but. As you delved into that further, you'd understand where Brennan, Kyan, and Enki truly came from and what they were like and why within the world you knew. I think in an episode perhaps we've aired or we haven't, you and I talked about when you change fundamentals about the narrative, and this was for gaming purposes, whether you change the rules as well to reflect the different story effectively they're in, you can't tell the story the same way because the fundamentals of it have changed so. And on the one end, yes, if we had gone kind of the sliders route, we should you you all dive into the various smaller forms to fix them and return to the major, that would be an interesting way to explore the notion of applying various systems. I think we jokingly said as kind of intermission or intermezzo, we would do things like play Monster Hearts in a small-town Americana version of the game.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Papa's the sheriff, Slaw is the professor emeritus or the default dean of the old university Miskatonic style at the top of the cliffs and the hills overlooking the town there's a bit of i think it was this was even before stranger things come to think of it but it would have definitely fit within that milieu so i bring this up because i'm i'm wondering if something to that effect where everything occurs within the ship or if it's more i suppose again to the star wars or star trek or the I guess the bigger question is, are we going small and internal, staying within the confines of the vessel itself, or is the narrative we're exploring about the desolation that is space in the greater scale?
1: I think it's about eking out a survival in that desolation. I think, though, the the question that comes to me is, are... You scrabbling for new resources, mm. not like the, the, are you scrabbling to bring in new resources to keep afloat, or are you scrabbling to repurpose the ones that you have? I think that's the fundamental question the, 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 that is the difference between the two. Because if it's the former, those pockets of like the, those stars you can find that drive home the point that this isn't, you know, there isn't much left are where you scavenge it's like again in a post-apocalyptic wasteland you find a house you scavenge it for supplies canned food and that kind of thing because no one's making more canned food
0: I-, I do wonder though because the underlying question to both of those is why right why bother if the heat death of the universe is inevitable what's the yeah, point I of trying? of
1: the universe is inevitable on a scale of trillions of years uh-huh. like this this period of time like civilization can no longer maintain itself and hasn't been for oh for a very very long time like like the last time you might have seen a colony is you know a long time ago but in theory if you can keep bringing in the supplies you might be able to keep this going for longer than your natural life
0: what i would suggest here in order to play upon the moments of the small and also the moments of the vast and insurmountable or numinous are we'll call them quite literally for the purposes of mechanics or narrative truth. Hope spots, things both small and large that seem to suggest there's a reason to go on. That if we try a little harder, if we push a little further, things will get better. Right. Mm. And I say hope spots because they don't have to be big moments. They can be little ones too. But they need to be. They need to be if not moments of success, then reasons to seek and endeavor to try again even if you failed right there's a
1: if i were i'm like so so what's coming into my head right now systems wise is one of two things but it's it's basically like if you did a dungeon world style stats with like five stats those stats would be around would be around philosophies like or or quality so like hope nihilism,
0: Solytism.
1: stoicism, etc. Yeah. Um, and and the the so like and so nihilism or resignment, uh, and if there, and if they're one page, it would be like I, I would think single scale hope or nihilism or hope or resignment. And resignment, the closer you are to that, the better you are at making do with what you have. With hope, you're less efficient, but you're better at fu- at, 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 at continuing onward.
0: You know, okay. So there's two things here. I, I do think. Are you suggesting more of these like sliding scales of, such as in mass, where your encounters with others help you define how much of each of these you are in the moment? Then, in a sense, these aren't rigid.
1: Right. I, I would think that they, they shouldn't be rigid either way. I think the 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 one page the the common one page element of the sliding scale works very well, the, or the um uh, what's it called masks scale where events can cause your stats to change.
0: My other request here is that regardless of our understandings of what is possible in this world we need something that call it, it is called when you wish upon a star.
1: I I mean certainly. <laughs> yeah, but I mean I here's the thing, I think that there's the very real possibility of that being a devastating move. Like instead of it being like it, like based fundamentally well, I think, I think what it means depends a great deal on where you are. In other words, that might be the term for cracking open a star. Now that island is gone. So here's a
0: possibility. I think we actually, you know, this is, this is us Frankensteining our own thing here. I, I think we, we take the, the ritual or something if, to move from, say, Dungeon World or mm, Monster of the Week, where it's a, you can, this is not a thing you can do as an individual. You have to get everyone or enough people involved. When you wish upon a star is a team effort, right? Regardless of whether it's a specific big thing or a specific little thing, and there are consequences, both glorious and devastating, depending on how it goes. So it could be when you wish upon a star, and we're you know we're pushing. Oh God! Actually, no. So two things here. I I know we're riffing, but I want to capture this. You've played the Battlestar Galactica board game, right? Yes. Okay. So in that board game, you. Are dealt hands, your dealt hands of cards, and each of them have different numbers and ratings on them. And depending on what challenge you faced, different cards are more effective than others at solving it. Right. That said, there are always Cylons, the saboteurs, who want to give negative numbers to lower the chances of success. So I'm wondering if, in this system here, where your your beliefs are fluid and evolving, certain ones can be chosen here to give positive and negative results or to push things in that direction in each of these endeavors and so when you wish upon a star is one example of we're searching for a thing that is beyond the reach of us individually but together we can try right or this is see, there's a there's an element of neediness of desperation of immediacy right we, we have nothing else to try here so let's just you know let's go for go let's go for
1: to that effect i thought of an interesting game element that may work and may not it goes more for the idea of the that you are asleep or an, uh, or in some other way like hyperspacing Perfect. through the vast distances and the idea was that there are two things drawing like that that are, that are affecting you like you are like either in the hypersleep they're affecting you in your dreams or in hyperspace you are closer to them and they're they are like affecting you mentally and the terms i am the the, the term that popped into my head for one was elpis so which means the other one would be moros <laughs> you know and no so there is some voice some figure in dreams or in other way affecting people that's drawing them on and it's and and, and those that trust in it are the, that's that's what keeps them going that that there's there's sanctuary somewhere they're being drawn if they can just connect with it or figure out what to do and moros is the one that's trying to convince them there's no point like there's nothing left like just just eat out what you can
0: so dave here we go they're both parts of the systems ai
1: they could be both parts of the system's AI. They could be both parts of the universe's AI, like the whole simulation. Right. The,
0: the, or they could be elder playing through it. They could be a number of things. I think to your point, it's up to the particular narrative you're exploring it could to be define part that. Of
1: the collective unconscious Sure. that has been etched into the universe over. over. Okay, so,
0: so what you're saying is there's a velvet room and a guy with a penguin body and a long nose?
1: <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to go directly there, but the point is. <laughs> The, the, the point is that there's a, a thing to do the, that's drawing people on and a thing that's, uh, that's trying to convince them. I don't think Moros is trying to give, convince them to give up. I don't think it's a particularly interesting game <laughs> if, if one of the things is nihilism. If one of the things is just give up and die.
0: No, I just want velvet space.
1: Right. I think that Moros is trying to convince them to just take what they need and eke and, and out their lives. Like that Moros comes in the form of the rational, you're not going to escape this. So do what you need to do to survive now, which which goes into that sliding scale of hope versus resignment, that resignment is better at using those resources we have. And hope is better at at keeping going, not giving into despair. It's better at dealing with the psychic trauma of even encountering these enemies and these dreams.
0: So the central pivot then becomes do we change the moment the status quo? Moros pushes toward preserving what we have to maintain it. Hope suggests we need to change it in order to get through whatever is.
1: And where you are on that scale um, determines like what your overall motivations would be in the first place. Some people might start out very far on the hope scale, some less so. And then I suppose the group itself would need to have chosen which side they were going on. So,
0: Dave, I will tell you this, and it's a mild spoiler for FF14 Zenwalker, but Elpis does exist in it. Do you know what it is? What is it? A flower.
1: (laughs) Of course it is.
0: No, but one that changes color depending upon people's moods and feelings or sentiments at the time.
1: I don't know what the end game is for getting this out. I don't know what Elvis could be calling them to. A gateway to another universe, an ark, a ship, the last star that's still alive, which, I mean, that's only a temporary thing, but a temporary thing that's measured in in billions of years.
0: So here's here's a bit that I will pull from this writer's supposition of what would happen should an ark ship consist of a system that recreates man from the resources available. His assumption was that eventually this would have to be tried more than once because the system was imperfect and obviously didn't make man capital M right the first time. So we'd have to keep trying. In this particular framework, uh, Elpis and Moros would probably be two impetuses within the system to push any given iteration of man toward what the system imagines is the successful result, right? I want to recreate man as best I've been told to, And here are the means by which I can drive the circumstances toward that result. What worked, what didn't. Okay. Let's try again.
1: Yeah. uh, Elpis could be just as easily. It could be like, there's, Oh, here's this rift, this wormhole to another universe. You can't fit through it. You could burn out everything and die and imprint something as uh, some bit of advice or wisdom on the next universe in some way help them learn from the mistakes of this one.
0: If we keep this up, we're gonna have to share our last best hope space mall game.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> well, I mean I I don't actually particularly like that one. I mean riffing wise the, the, sure. the idea of imparting information works but the, the fundamental flaw with it is this post-apocalypse that we're dealing with is not one that's been brought around by human failing. It's one that's been brought around by nature, unless it's like, oh, you know, hey, entropy was a bad it was a bad idea. Don't do that. Do it universe without entropy next time. I, I don't really see what we could be imparting. Just as a um a, a thematic framework, I I don't think. The the explaining the mistakes. I don't think that people eking out an existence in this world are going to be the best to explain the mistakes of the past. They're not focused on the mistakes of the past. No,
0: they're just focused on the mistakes of the present.
1: Right, and that's, and that's not representative of the kind of mistakes that people at the table would want to impart uh, on the next universe. Oh, the or the that would want to um, the wisdom that the people at the table. So would
0: I, I think this is important. Is this type of narrative more iterative, right? Such as in last country for no country for old kobolds, where again, riff on no country for old men, you play generations of a people who are giving your all to serve, to save the population on the whole. Or is it more focused on who's left in total?
1: So I, if I were going to modify who, uh, no country for old kobold, I would say no country for old kobold makes death cheap. Yes, uh, Intentionally so that and so it makes that the choice you can easily bring in a new character is that the best move. I think in this game death is expensive. I think that you ca- that that bringing in a character when you die, bringing in the next generation or what have you costs resources. And it's a it's a deliberate choice that you have to make whereas but I think that if if you choose not to, you also need a more permanent role in the story. Like for instance when you're in those plays with moros and elpis are dealing with them that's when your characters can come back and help with that and i also think that they, that there's the ability to provide inspiration points um of some variety in the other stories
0: i will i will give you this one as a spoiler for a recent book but i'm going to be frank i don't care because the book frustrated and angered me so this isn't revenge this is just me still trying to wrap my mind around the concepts that it presented in a way that didn't make any sense. the basic premise started off with a transport ship taking frozen, cryogenically frozen people from earth to another planet. We had settled down on a routine shipping endeavor and eventually a murder occurs. And then the whole story involves trying to unravel why the person was murdered. And oh my God, why are 44 people chopped up robots by space robots and that's where the story starts to unravel because the investigator has suffering from PTSD after dealing with alien life forms that are engaged in some type of weird cohabitation with humans through mind melding, ethereal manipulations. And there's a side character who is a half human, half alien. She's able to avert her own death by skipping back in space time to a point she prefers to. That was my first inkling of what the hell you've cheapened death and the narrative of your book. Right. But the reason I bring it up in particular is that she eventually explains what God is. And it touches upon what you were suggesting with Elpis and Moros here, where you see, Dave, those aren't aliens at all. Those are the first dreams of the apes that inhabited Earth and died and had their spirits merged together to form giant, weird, ethereal, tentacle monstrosities that can merge with human mentality uh-huh. and impart messages upon them to alter space-time and reality itself. And obviously, this was a poor iteration of what you're suggesting. And I'm not saying I'm not bringing it up simply to rip apart your suggestion here. I'm bringing it up to tear apart why this didn't work and see how it could have so that we can use those elements for what you're suggesting here. Because what you're talking about is how to maintain player agency and character in the narrative relevance.
1: Right. And and I want to make clear, I am not suggesting that when the players die and choose not to come back, that they can they get to continue acting as the same kind of thing as Elpis or and Moros. I'm thinking Elpis and Moros. We never answer the question of where they're from. They they are profound elements of the universe, but beyond that, we don't know. Are they entities? Are they actual traits of the universe? Um, did are they are they said the the basically like the uh, like uh, ideas that have been etched into the universe by trillions of years of life. I don't know. And I don't think we need to know. I do think that when the players are are somehow taking part in those, they're probably taking part as ghosts. They're probably taking part as their actual selves. And there's no indication that they're anything. They might be agents of Elpis or Moros, depending on how we write it, but they're not in some way contributing to the nature of El- Elvis. So and
0: you're you're playing a bit off of the notion in Wraith that there's another self that can sometimes take over, right?
1: I'm ju- again, I'm just looking for a way of of making sure that the players who choose not to build new ones get to come back.
0: I think what's interesting here is that that type of mechanism suggests there are multiple layers or forms of existence.
1: I think the fact that people are having dreams of Elpis and Moros or interacting with them directly, again, that is determined by whether it's hypersleep or hyperspace, sure. indicates that there is another level of, that reality, of, of reality already.
0: This is, You know what this goes back to is, are you the butterfly dreaming of a human or are you the human dreaming of a butterfly? Because as our current neuroscience seems to suggest, the human mind will not be able to differentiate between dreams and wakefulness in the void of space. The only input you'll have is what you can perceive.
1: Well, yes, that's that's uh, something I wrote a comic about a long time ago. Is in the bat va- in the in in a vast void of emptiness, a lot of ideas that are absolutely ridiculous, a lot of philosophical ideas that are absolutely ridiculous in normal life suddenly become real. You know, solipsism. I am the only thing that that, that exists. Well, that seems to be true here. <laughs> no um, uh, uh, what, what is the one where, the, the, where you believe you're uh, megalomania? I am the master of all I survey. Well, I guess that's true too, because you're not surveying anything.
0: Nihilism, nothing matters, okay.
1: Nothing matters. Well, nothing's here. That seems to matter. All of these ideas, when you really are alone in the void, all of these ideas are really, you can't tell the difference between them.
0: So I think what happens there is your sense, particularly of space and time and memory and dream, are nebulous. People that were gone are still here because you remember them and wants to differentiate between the time they were gone and the time they aren't, other than you having some type of artificial means to measure that by. So just because a character is dead doesn't mean they're no longer there because the only means by which you have to evaluate that is either the logs, which are, again, entered by someone, and who knows what state of mind they were in when they entered it. Yeah. And even if it's the system, who knows if the system itself
1: yeah, I think hyperspace and hypersleep are are basically shadow like shadow plays. Sure. Weird things happen there.
0: E- effectively the whole ship is the cave.
1: Right. Yes. I think that uh, and and
0: and I think you play into that if philosophies are going to be your your main capacities.
1: If we yeah, if philosophies are going to be if we go beyond just the sliding scale of hope versus resignment...
0: you realize we've created a nightmare game for your brother.
1: I'm thinking we actually need to get his input on this at some point, but I think we can come up with a, I think we've got enough for a first pass. The only question, I guess the one question is, Sure, are we going to do a thin dungeon world style or a one page with a sliding scale? Because that determines how many philosophies there are.
0: You know, this this is one of those circumstances where often you'll have a premise that comes to mind and you go, okay, is this a short story? Is this a screenplay? Is this a book? Like, what, what form does this story best work in? And part of why we've done this episode today is as an exercise to show that not all your ideas need to have a final form. You can just simply chew on them so that they're no longer banging around in your head.
1: Then I have a suggestion as a f- for a final exercise. Okay. So a lot of one pages have a one d six that you roll to determine type of setting. In stairs without number, I had like a variety of different stairs: industrial stairs, NC Escher stairs, stairs up to the temple at the top of Himalayan Mountain, etc. So, so we have basic ideas of passage through the nothing that where there's uh, shadow slash passion plays that are um, that that happen. And then you have reality, then you have the adventure around reality in these brief islands. I uh, So what are, so the first one is, you know, the year, the year 12 trillion.
0: I think actually to answer your question here, I'm not sure one sheet is sufficient.
1: I, I, oh, I agree with you. I'm just saying as a, as a final thing, sure. let's just come up with six settings okay. that, that this actually works for. Uh, the first one is because it's what we were ripping off of in the first place 12 trillion AD. Then
0: you have the cave passion play.
1: Well, yeah, the all oh, the interesting. Yes. Okay. So so in that particular I'm, I'm going to call it the, so so in the 12 trillion AD it's hypersleeper hyperspace and those are the moments you have those dreams. Sure. So the cave the the idea is that that you're existing in isolated areas, whatever they'd happen to be. And then you have moments of wakefulness in the cave where you can see the light and shadows. And then when you go back to sleep, you're in a different region.
0: Here's the thing that I find fascinating, right? And I think it's the through line through all of them in a sense. Let's say we do purely realistic. It's just man eking it out, Walking Dead style, trying to scrabble together, grab resources, mine gas and heavy metals out of stars and asteroids and the like. But then you obviously to conserve those have to go into hypersleep or other preservative means, right? So here's the thing.
1: That was the that was the 12 trillion ADA. Yeah, right.
0: Here's the thing. How do you know any of that exploration was the part you were awake for?
1: I oh I absolutely agree with you. I'm just when you say the cave, I want to make sure we're talking about a new setting and not a way of looking at the 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 hypersleep.
0: I, I think what I'm I'm not rebutting the six premises here, but I think the because I think it's an exercise that's valuable. To see if this actually has enough legs to give you at least six different kind of core premises, but I, I want to have this in here too. I almost want to delve into the way fellowship creates the horizon as the driver of narrative. One, because you do have five conceptual characteristics that could be refluffed easily enough, but more importantly, it also presumes that each character has their own impetus or reason for wanting to continue and mm-hmm. to pursue Thirdly, because within the engine itself, there, is the, there are the rules for particular realms, locations, destinies, whether these are actual physical islands, desolate planets, resources, etc., or dreamscapes, however you want to call them. And how things escalate within that, depending on your actions. And I think, too, because you want some type of mechanism that uses the relationships between the players to pull out how they define each other by how hopeful or nihilistic or realistic and so on they are. Mm-hmm. And I do think as any good developer would, we give case, you know, use cases where here are five or six different ways this could be applied immediately without much prep. So currently we do have the 12 trillion, we do have the hyper realistic, we do have the passion play.
1: I've got two ri- well, uh, passion play still could be part of both. I've got two written down so far. One is the 12 trillion AD. You've got a ship, you're going between isolated pockets, hyperspace or hypersleep is the driver of the passion plays, but in the travel between the two, mm-hmm. I've got waking up in Plato's cave, where you, where you wake up enough. You realize that you've just been looking at the shadows and in that, in those shadow plays that you have in those mindfulness, you've actually changed the shadows so that when you go back, as sleep and get focused on the shadows again, you're in a different place. You're in a different world. The third idea I had, I'm bouncing back and forth between two sources of inspiration on this. Okay. Um, one is quantum leap, and the other one is sapphire and steel. Um, but the basic idea is you are leaping between locations.
0: You're, you're not going to do a riff on Ralph Bakshi's wizards.
1: I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is now in both Quantum Leap and in Sapphire and Steel, the idea is you have been sent there with a purpose. I want that purpose removed because that change, it utterly changes the nature of the game. Like you may think you may you may have a purpose, but you weren't in those moments where you're at your destination. You're not 100 percent clear on what it is. And we represent that by the, the weird dreams and shadow plays uh, that happen during the leaps. So that you like that, and that may be communication with the people who are guiding you, or what have you. But you're still trying to accomplish certain things, achieve certain goals, get certain resources. I still think it's got to be just just so we keep the game consistent. It's resources, but that would be my third suggestion.
0: If you were to go wholly internal, you end up with something closer to a quiet here, where it is purely about the disasters that befall the community as you try to survive, with the understanding inevitably that the frost shepherds arrive right in this case, the heat death and I think that's another one, which is you are there for the heat death of the universe. you are at the end. right. you're in the final days, the last days Everyone want to phrase it.
1: though the, the funny thing to me is that like on depending on your time scales, the heat death of the universe can be an event from on the human lifetime the heat death of the universe takes trillions of years. So you're you know there it, it's the event event it's there. There is a way that 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 can still be an event if each time you go into hypersleep, uh, hyperspace, whatever. Each time you travel, it takes longer and longer because things are getting further and further apart. You will reach a point where there is no more traveling to anything because it will take forever longer to get there than the thing anything will be alive by the time you get there. So,
0: and I think this is an important, even if we don't find all six of our iterations today, an important thing to touch on because there is. Again, and this was a critique of McCarthy's The Road, where's the urgency, right? Mm -hmm. I think if the urgency is that each time and each time you surrender to oblivion, whatever that be, the dreamscape, Plato's cave, and so on, from which you emerge again to try again, if each time you do, the duration is longer, there will reach a point where, as you said, you can't make the last leap or you can, but there'll be nothing to await you on the other side. Await or, I suppose, awaken you.
1: Uh, to be fair, there's another source of urgency in these games. You're not getting much in the way of resources. Much like a uh, much like a No Country for Old Kobolds game, it's written so that on the long haul, you're going to fail.
0: Right, and that's what I'm saying, is I think there needs to be, as in No Country for Old Kobolds, the longer one, which is too many leaps in the universe ends.
1: Right, Each essentially, each leap is the opportunity for the guy driving the story to make a move. Yes.
0: That's why again I'm saying things like fellowship system of horizon or overlord still work because they provide yeah. mechanisms by which, okay, you're taking your respite, you're taking your break. You're that moment of levelness on the stairs, to use your mm-hmm. stairs without number game. Here's what else happens while you wait.
1: There's a there's a game, and I think it's called Twelve Candles. That's what I was referencing earlier when you said. And the basic idea is you play it in the dark, uh, mostly in the dark. It's a narrative story. And each time you each not session, but essentially you start out. And for each of the candles that's lit, you say one. Tr- you go around the table and everyone gets to say one truth about the world.
0: Ten candles, the candlelit role playing game of tragic horror.
1: Right. And then every time someone fails at a role. That's part of the, that, that chapter is ended. You blow out one of the candles and you move on to the next chapter and everyone gets to say one truth for each candle lit. So the truths that they can say, the safety is slowly being pulled out. And that's, um, and that's another way that, um, that you could uh, manifest it. It depends on the horizon that you want on the game. You want five leads. You want,
0: here's another iteration. I think we haven't had is Ragnarok where Askar and Embla are put into trees and are the only survivors of the end of the world. And effectively, you're not trying to survive. You're trying to provide whatever will feed, will seed, whatever comes next.
1: Ah, actually, there's a setting idea for you.
0: Hmm?
1: Yggdrasil has been shattered and uh, you are traveling between its shattered pieces.
0: That works, too. Yggdrasil is effectively an interpret. You know, and the funniest thing about that is that if you look at modern interpretations of the multiverse, should it exist, it is tree-like, broccoli-like, however fractal pattern you do- you wish to base it upon but the world tree still works as a fundamental understanding of it
1: and by the way in the in the yggdrasil shattered you rename um elpis and moros to uh, uh who's one of the ones who get, who was dead but gets essentially brought back in after ragnarok balder
0: balder was the one who dies first he's one of the first signs that Ragnarok. right but serious. doesn't he
1: come back after Ragnarok? I forget.
0: I should remember these things.
1: Yeah, I'd have to look up one of them. I'm going to assume he is and just say Elpis becomes Balder and uh, Moros becomes Ragnarok. And they're not the same thing at all. Ragnarok's not a god. It's an event. But still.
0: It's the inevitability that's going to occur. Right. Balder just means white and shining and also could be extracted from Shining Day, which, oh, good lord. <laughs> it's the
1: last brilliant day
0: before the end of the world.
1: Yeah. Balder. So uh, we've got we've got four now, again, just long stretches, isolated pockets where you can gather resources. And in between, you have to dream or.
0: Okay, here's one. Here's one we haven't done. Comedy of errors. Okay, there are no rules left. You just try to make society work the best you can. We're going to duck soup this. Hmm. We know, and I'm saying Duck Soup because the whole premise of the play Duck Soup is there's a play they're supposed to put on based upon the script they have, but they're very bad at performing it. Nah. But, and I'm thinking here, one of these is the manual. There's some form of instruction left, but no one knows how to interpret it well or entirely, though we still all, we all still try to perform up to it.
1: That is a phenomenal variant does that mean that the the shadow plays are moments where the rules get rewritten, and, and so the next chapter has to be done with certain rules that are put in place?
0: It's possible you might even play different generations, where after each leap, you look at the modifications to the rules or interpretations Talmudically. The other generations put on to that to go, well, here's what we think this means, so good luck, <laughs> Godspeed. Wow.
1: like that as a variant so basically there is no there is no shadow like their sleep it's another 12 it's another 12 trillion ad the difference here is generations pass between these outposts and so instead of having a shadow play you have essentially the society's conversation with elpis and moros
0: and i think the the thing is whatever automated systems you have will serve as a foil or a literal Jungian shadow to that by always repeating the same mistakes because they follow programming unless changed. And that's, that's the, the difference here is that you as the entities around them can look at the rules and reinterpret and effectively reprogram your society unless, of course, you want to pivot this further and you're all AI, which you could do too. But I think that's up to the individual group playing through the narrative to do.
1: I like the idea of in that scenario where you play the, like in that particular scenario, I like the idea that uh, I've, I've marked it down as each island a generation. Well,
0: and, and duck soup doesn't have to be com- comedic. It's effectively the premise of near automata your androids fighting aliens, robot servants. And you eventually discover the aliens are dead. The robots are trying to live out through their programming and are mimicking human society but consistently fail because they follow those human societies to the terminal points and don't know what to do afterwards. The monarchy collapses after their king dies because what is a monarchy without a king? And so on. The pacifists commit suicide when they can't confront the reality of violence and how to live, with it and live in a world that has it, and so on. And then this comes full circle when the androids discover that the humans they've been doing all this for are also gone and have been. And that the whole mechanism is something the leadership has pushed forward so that they have a purpose to their existence.
1: The um, last one that comes to mind for me is bringing it around to the Western. There is a story that is kind of like this, where the world is in decay and you've got brief pockets uh, where you can gather resources, but otherwise it's long, long periods of wilderness and what that changes your character and all that. And that's uh, the gunslinger series. Ah.
0: It's you're not even a group, it's just a few lone individuals,
1: you know. Oddly enough, a lot of, like in my mind, a lot of times, the, the 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 in my mind, the 12 trillion AD was you're a ship of like I don't know, five to 10 people, um, trying to eke out an existence.
0: You're talking little ship,
1: yeah. Well, so that was oddly enough. It's not like that. That wasn't a I. That's not in the sense of oh this is what was always in my head and I never told you. It's more this is what my mind always started defaulting to when we started talking, and it's clear yours always started defaulting to the generation, like the the last societies.
0: Here, here, here's I think one that is a riff off of that. Then that gives you your surreality, your surrealness and comedy. The worst Wally, as in the movie Wally, where it isn't an intentional arc ship. It's just the cruise ship that somehow persisted.
1: Ha. <laughs> And that goes along with the each island. I'm going to put that down. The each island a generation. Duck soup. The worst. Wally.
0: Do you remember? I think when our How to Begin we talked about where near automata began, and at the end of that prologue, Tubi just has to meet Nine S again because he only had time to upload her consciousness, and not his, to the main database. So he reintroduces himself to her, and this is after a whole arduous journey they've gone on together and bonded. And she's so furious, right, that you wonder as you're playing through the prologue, how many times has this happened where he hasn't survived their initial encounter or their their entire encounter, and she has to meet him again. The reveal ultimately is that she's the perpetrator of all this because she's designed to kill him when he discovers too much. So it's not just that she's furious at having to go through the arduous ritual of hi how are you do you want to talk about this stuff isn't it fascinating oh do you think these machine life forms are sentient yada yada it's that eventually when he learns the truth she has to murder him there's more to come from that but i just i remember hitting that beat going (laughs) ah.
1: yeah that's pretty bad uh do we want to try for a sixth or do we want to wrap up because gunslinger could work but it's not a great one it's just a where there is some
0: oh i
1: think I mean, you could have the walk through the desert and then you'd like, so basically it could be on, uh, on earth or something like that, but between isolated pockets, you have to walk through the desert and the desert is endless.
0: I, I think the last one, honestly, is probably the bleakest It's more dogs in the vineyard style where you're conscripting people and resources on this mission. I think one of them has to be the mission. Where you know the world's ending, you know the universe is ending, and your team has been designated if not to solve it, then to survive it, or to provide some other means around this.
1: And Elpis is the idea that you can even get these people back to whoever gave you the, the memory, whoever gave you the mission. But like you don't quite remember who that is because the long desert has, like is, you've lost a lot of your memories to the long desert. And, but you, those fever dreams you have in the desert let you remember some of them. I, by the way, I want to add, we never said this in the main part, but I really like the idea and would like to apply it to most of these that there are, there become like that these, these talks with Elpis and Moros, some can, can cause there to be rules that must be maintained until the next time you enter hypersleep. It works with a number of them.
0: You know, one of my favorite moments running Academy World was at the end of the first arc where you dove through the wellspring, you fought off Raelish's, now Deerman's erstwhile mentor, took back yourselves and prevented his destructive endeavor. And at the very end of that kind of weird nebulous space where things were interconnected, you met with Brennan and he explained to you why you needed to do what you needed to do next and left with you a few memento worries, right? Mm-hmm. Effectively, Memento Here's you know. Here's proof that you will not last for long unless you do what I ask of you. So remember, you will die. But here's why, and here's what you can do if not to prevent it, then to survive in the next world or the one to come. And it wasn't something I had entirely planned, but as mm-hmm. the story progressed to that moment through that beat, it was, as you're saying, a moment of el- elpos, elpis, and moros, where. Mm-hmm. You can commune with the gods, as it were. You can speak to the things that are beyond, but are still present in your life that you know exist because you've heard them before, and you know you're related to them somehow. The fact that Stephen's whole metamorphosis from Relish to Dearman made him more and more like Brennan, both in physical form, but also in actions and mentality through his own choices, was fascinating because it led me to realize that he was, in fact, a familiar in the classic sense, to mm-hmm. creators, he was a proxy and a replica, a servant of a thing that needed him to help accomplish its deeds. And those moments of the numinous, or for instance, even when you went up into the the firmament itself, and everything was purely strange insectile-like creatures that were that were the darkness itself forming things, and you had to shine light on that and give shape to it. And eventually found other formations they would take in places and things they would turn into. The, the trees themselves were made out of swarms of moths, right? I feel like that's what the encounters with Moro snail are like. They are, whatever they are, we try to make sense of them based on what we know. And based on what we've discovered within the game and the narrative itself as truths of the existence of the world. Because if the universe itself is collapsing, then how true are the rules that have kept it going so far, right? If reality is breaking down, do the laws still hold true? And I think that's a thread that persists throughout all of them, particularly, you know, in the mission's case, it's one, who gives us the mission. But two, why do we still hold to the strictures? Because the world, you know, in that case, maybe the argument is because the world is collapsing, the codes are needed, the strictures and whatever the rules are needed to give consistency. I guess that's where the dogs in the vineyard reference came to mind because the challenge of that game and partly why so few people play it now is that you never know if you're right and that it brings up incredibly raw moments among the players themselves because the decisions are usually painful ones.
1: There are moments that you, like, there are, mo- there are, there are some things where it's like, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm right. But you like like there are things you definitely have to fight, but you're never sure if what you sacrificed was the right thing to end that. If you've actually left the situation in a better place than you, le- than, you uh, than you got founded in. I am going to have to run pretty soon.
0: Sure, I think we've reached a point where we can wrap this up.
1: Yeah, I think we've got a game here. I don't know. We could try it as a one page. We could try um, writing it up as a as a basic thing, and then try a playthrough of it.
0: I think there are two separate branches we take on this to begin with. One is see if it can form as a one-sheet. The other is see if this is more of a world-building or setting for something that exists already.
1: Right. I um, am inclined to, to, if if we were going to run this, what's the, of the six that we've written down, what's the one that appeals the most to you?
0: So I think if we were going to presume this as a setting and then apply it to existing systems, we would want to find the right system for each of these concepts but for me in particular let's say you know me i do the passion plays
1: <laughs> so the waking up in plato's cave kind of thing
0: right because your choices then alter the world the
1: passion plays in regardless
0: i think so too so i'm not sure that's entirely the premise itself i don't know tell me yours
1: uh the default is a really good one Yggdrasil Shattered would be a fun one, but I think it's so far from the original idea, not so far, but like thematically, it's going to feel very different. I would go between the 12 trillion AD with a small crew and the each island degen- or each island a generation with a large one, the duck soup one with a large one. Mm. So in other words, if I wanted to play up like a very big difference between the characters in the shadow plays and the characters in, the, in reality, if you want to call it reality, I would do the Each Island Generation. If I wanted them just to be exploring different sides of the same character, I'd be doing the the 12 trillion AD.
0: Strangely, my keenest interest in this premise is actually in terms of the shadow plays and Elvis and Moros and how those work. And I think maybe this keys into the, the Shattered Drazzle one, where... It's not per se just islands and space physically, but metaphysically you go to. So if it's whatever you're mining from that or acquiring from that, that you use to get through the things you need to. So it's possible, you know, there's the realistic game where it's minerals, it's water, it's all the survivalist things you need to keep your bodies and ship functioning. But it's also quite as possible that you need to gird your mind as it were against the realities in the life you're living and that the only way to do so is through these shadow plays where you live other lives or play other things i I think that one actually plays more off of say like 13 centals ages room there's a very specific riff that takes although it dives through multiple genres to get there intentionally so
1: so my my suggestion then would then we we write it like it's going to be that, although probably still use Elpis and and Moros rather than Balder and Ragnarok.
0: Right. So here's, here's effectively what I'm thinking, right? Like I could see in this architecture where the small town Americana Academy world game is a shadow play of the larger one, where, you know, just to use archetypes we have, for instance, we'd have Maximilian and Diermid and Corellian in small town Americana but whatever they gain from that is what they apply either to the manual for the next generation or their next try or to survive what's to come in the journey itself.
1: So I'm sort of thinking of like writing it for the Ragnarok and they, but use like two using very generic terms for the resources such that they can just as easily be applied to the Ragnarok or the the 12 trillion. But I have one last idea for the writing of it. it. If we do it as a one page, each side is a different facet of the game. So, one page is the exploration of physical reality or the leaves of Yggdrasil or what have you. And the other side is the shadow play, the Elpis and Moros, the Baldur and Ragnarok.
0: Right. I think actually what we end up with is a mechanism similar to what we were talking about with Andrew's Great Train Robbery.
1: Yeah, basically. Except that it's not like told in retrospect, but it's still, yeah, it's it's two different sides of it.
0: Well, it's, it's, the, it's the reverse order. Right. The journey is the journey. Uses what's gathered in the shadow place, whether the shadow plays are the explorations of real or imagined places or worlds, and then it becomes up to the players to determine, and the players or participants to determine what is grounded, what is real in the existential sense, and what is purely experienced within the mind. Granted, those in the void of space are hard to delineate between, but that's part of the game. Mm-hmm. On that note, I think we have a premise we can tease things out from.
1: I think so. And I think it'd be a pretty fun premise, too. And I do think, yeah, I think we could probably, oh, see if I can write this up and then we'll run it through some drafts.
0: (laughs) I can't wait. Dear, what your wife says when she sees what you're doing. Hi, honey. What (laughs) you're writing? Oh, just ending the universe in six different ways.
1: You know, I actually like the, the, on that last note, I like the Geek Drassel shattered because, uh, of, the, of them all because it gives the most indication of what Elpis could actually be because you're trying to bring it back.
0: Gotta grow it again.
1: Yeah. All right. On that note.
0: We would like to invite all of you to follow us online at FM slash tigers. as with a Y, of course. You can leave messages for any of our episodes. We'll be happy to... Reply to any and all of them. We are leaning toward a Q&A episode down the road. You will hear more of our actual narrative games later on in the year. As we get that up and running, you can follow us online at Instagram, at HBTigers, again with a Y. There will be more soon. We're currently in the process of setting a lot of stuff up. So until then, see you next time. A good story can excite us, yes. But the best ones, fiction or not, compel, inspire, or drive us toward the hope that we need for a better life. Remember, you don't need to know everything right now, but you do need to write. So make sure to like, review, and subscribe to us at Here Be Tigers. And until next time, take life by the tail.